Welcome to Park City Church. You're listening to our weekly message, where we hope you'll be inspired and encouraged to know and follow Jesus and welcome and serve others. Thank you for tuning in. We're reading from Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. I wanted to start with a story I was reminded recently. I actually was chatting with my wife, Jess, and I think something she was reading uh, brought up the story of uh, Helen Limmel, and she is a hymn writer. Uh, she was an accomplished vocalist and performer outside of the church as well, uh, but sort of <laughs> stayed connected to her faith and, and uh, continued to sort of give expression to that through her skills and, and gifts some years ago. Uh, but uh, had at some point during that time, as an adult, uh, had gone to Europe to, tr- to further train vocally, and I think during that time married a wealthy European. Uh, and uh, I think as they had come back at some point as an adult, she was... Uh, she had gone blind sort of abruptly and um, at later on in life. And then in the course of dealing with that difficulty, um, adjusting to all that that sort of brought into her life, uh, her husband also left her, right? This was not sort of the space perhaps he had signed up for. And uh, out of that experience of loss and brokenness, uh, she continued to give voice to uh, her uh, faith, Right, her trust in uh, Christ, the one who redeems all that is broken. Right, so from this place of brokenness, uh, she continued to write uh, and, and wrote hymns. In fact, that we still sing that resonate still today. One in particular that goes something like this: "Soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's a light for a look at the Savior, a life more abundant and free." Anybody want to jump into the chorus with me here? Turn your eyes upon. Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace, right? Written from a place of blindness, right? From a place of brokenness, uh, perhaps unraveling in her life, as, as Kristen prayed, those seasons when maybe things are going well, but perhaps when things are not, not what we thought they would be, that from that particular place is able to give voice to this expression of faith, turn your eyes upon Jesus, uh, and this refrain, right, that, that, that the things of earth would grow dim in the light of his glory and of his grace. I want to suggest to you this morning that, that uh, Paul makes a similar turn here, 
in this passage in Colossians. A similar thrust, if you will, a, a, a similar move in this moment. It is certainly a call to this early community of Christians to turn their eyes to Jesus. Look at Jesus, right? Which we will see Paul does again and again and again. Look here, keep looking uh, here. But specifically in this instance, uh, calls their attention and yours and mine to these same aspects of Jesus, his glory and his grace, I think we'll see at work in this passage. It's where we start, right? It's like Paul says, let me help you. You're new to this. You're living your faith. You're a community together. Let me help you. This is Jesus. This is Jesus. We, we mentioned already that this is, again, some of the highest language you will find in the New Testament in its description of who Jesus is, which is remarkable, right? Uh, these earliest writings of the church, they're trying to make sense of what they had experienced in the life, teaching death and resurrection of Jesus. And out of that experience, uh, they pin words such as these, right? This sort of grand and cosmic in scale, this is who Jesus is. And we could, I think, we could, we could uh, uh, step into this poem and dissect it and lay it out, and look at the parallel structures, and the images, and all those things in, in detail, and, and, I, and we, I think, you know, would, would benefit from that, but on one level, this morning, I, that's not a move I, I want to make. I want to kind of hold it together. Let's acknowledge, yes, what's going on here. There is some structure, some kind of breaks out into two stanzas, if you will, and the first, you know, they each follow like a similar pattern. The first, you know, in each, the beginning of each one sort of names Christ. He is this expression, a statement about who he is, and then this imagery that as Christ, he is first among, right, and then unpacks this movement, uh, this expression of who he is, and then teases out, each stanza teases out what that looks like, what that means in relation to the created world, the uh, context in which these moves are made. But each of these stanzas, I think, emphasize different things. I think the first emphasizes his glory, right? His glory. Who is this Christ? I mean, we, we, you just listen to the language. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Right, this first move that he is the one, he's, he's telling them, look, Jesus, this is who, who is reshaping your life, is bringing dead things to life. Jesus is, holds all things together. It's grand, it's cosmic in scale and scope. He holds all things together. You might say it's glorious, full of his glory. So much to be said here again. We could tease apart uh, implications for what this means about the divinity of Jesus and, and the doctrine of the Trinity and all these kinds of things and all of those elements are here, but let's just kind of hold this move that in this moment Paul draws their attention and yours and mine to the scale and scope of who Jesus is. He holds all things together. This is Jesus, Paul says, but, but then in the second stanza, the, the emphasis is a little bit different, where, where he's maybe kind of the parallel structure. In the first, it's creation. In the second, there's a move. Like, he's not just at the front of creation there at the beginning. He's also at the front of the church, right? This community now that is new, that is being formed, and people who are experiencing life, right, who, who have been dead but are now made alive. Jesus is the first among those as well. 
Right? He's not just the one who holds it all together. The, the poem will go on to, to express, Paul will say, he's the one who reconciles all things, puts everything right. right? Not just the one who, who holds creation and all of its particularities, even in your life, together. He's the one who reconciles and makes right what sin uh, has broken. And these two things together, his glory, you might say, and his uh, grace at work in this moment. Paul calling his readers and you and me, this community, to look again at Jesus. Look, turn your eyes here. Let me help you understand who this is. This is Jesus. He holds all things together and he makes things right. He reconciles. The language of the second stanza, the head stanza, the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead. This picture of resurrection and new life. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things. Whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Again, it's rich and dense, but I'll, I want to just invite us to kind of step back and view it in its wholeness. That this is Christ. He holds all things together of which your life is a part. This is Christ who reconciles all things, makes them right through his work on the cross, which also includes your life, our life as a community. Right? This is the move Paul makes here. Because this is Jesus, uh, to draw our attention again. Now, he says this is who he is. Look here. But I, I want to suggest this morning one more move that we make. Le recognizing we are leaving much on the table to be discussed and uh, picked up around this beautiful poem. I want us to consider it in its uh, context this morning. Yes, Paul is saying, this is Jesus, look here. But then what, what, what is the context of this call and invitation in the letter that we've read? I want to suggest to you that the move is something like this. Because this is Jesus, Paul says, you can now be confident that this is us. Right, because, because this is Jesus and who he is and what he's like, that he holds all things together, that he's reconciling all things to himself. Well, 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 this is the implication of that incredible revelation, too large for us to understand for your life and mine now in community together, for this church, the church of the Colossians in community uh, together. Because this is Jesus, Paul, I think through the context, moves us into consideration for what this may mean for you and me this is us. We, we uh, again, I, I, I just want us to hold it together with what comes before and what comes after. We considered a bit of what comes before. So we have this beautiful hymn, right? This Christ hymn. It's cosmic. There's creation and new creation. There's life at the beginning and new life and resurrection in the church. There's uh, firstborn, right? The, the beginning of all things, but also the beginning of the church in this community. There's all this sort of grandness happening there. He is glory and he is grace. Uh, but what is it that gives, uh, what is it that prompts this incredible expression of uh, beautiful language, rich theological content? What moves him into this sort of gushing of, of uh, just beauty and praise? Well, we considered it last week. Verse 13, the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. 
So as he sits with the truth that, that through Jesus, God has worked forgiveness of sins and moves him into this. Well, let me unpack for you what this son is like. As you live with the new reality that God is working and reconciling and forgiving, let me help you see again what Jesus is like. Who is the one who makes that possible, who opens the way forward into that life? For you and me, he is glory and he is grace. Right? That's what, that's what launches him into it. But where does he land when he comes out of it? You're like, where do you go from here? The preeminence of Christ, the Son of God. Right? It's grand and a huge in scale. Where does that take him? Where does he land in response to this incredibly large and beautiful truth? Well, in verse 21, 22, this is where it takes him. Once you were alienated. You were hostile, broken, evil, bent on your own way but now he says now you uh, have been reconciled through Jesus right you've been made blameless holy is the word here above reproach there's no accusation against you because of what Jesus has done this is the gospel this is the gospel Paul says right so this beautiful hymn of what Jesus is who he's like this is who he is this is Jesus Uh, placed in this letter within the context of Paul affirming to you, to me, to his church, to whom he's writing this church, to whom he's writing that God is the one who reconciles, who who forgives in the context of of him moving us from who we were to who we are, uh, from from sin's effects, um, our inclination uh, towards it, moving us from this place into new uh, life. It's as though Paul says the only thing capable of repairing a fracture of this magnitude is one, a vision of one uh, uh, whose vision is so expansive, his scale so large, he's just going to fill the horizons of your life and he'll change everything. Right? Paul is affirming to them. Right? The one through whom the world was made has now become the one through whom God is through his saving love, working uh, and redeeming the world. And Paul is telling them and you and me that in belonging to the church, being a part of this community, the church in the world, this is who you belong to. Right? This is uh, what is now shaping and defining and determining the parameters of your life. He teases it out through careful, you know, like particular words, being made holy. It's how he started the letter, uh, to present them holy in his sight without blemish, free from accusation. Christ, you, you, you can hear it. The one who holds it all together is also the one who holds your reconciliation. You don't hold it all together. Right? There's the affirmation that despite all of our white-knuckled attempts to hold life together, to make sense of it, to keep it under control and properly filtered and all those things, like you don't hold it together. Christ does even your attempts at redemption and reconciliation to be enough to repair the damage in your life. You don't even hold that, Paul says. Christ holds that. Christ holds that. He holds it all together. It's an interesting move. We, we chatted yesterday at the men's breakfast. Those of you who come in, I hope, I hope you had a good time. Those of you who didn't, we had a great time. You're going to want to come next time, right? Especially for the ham biscuits. Uh, right, but we, we talked about discipleship a little bit. And really the question of what it, uh, Micah led us in some conversation on what it means to be formed, that we are being formed. And 
And uh, it's as if Paul, in this move, sort of taps into that conversation. It's interesting where he starts the letter, right? He, he says the same kind of language, to the saints and faithful uh, who are in Christ in Colossae, right? So to the ones who are in Christ, whom we've just heard described now in this beautiful way, cosmic, grand, glory, and grace, who are in Christ in Colossae, because they would have gone through life thinking, no, we are in Caesar in Colossae, right? Like, it's his world. He runs the show. Uh, he's the one who sort of forms my life, sets the parameters of my life. Rome's influence determines all of these things, Rome's culture, Rome's uh, market, all those kinds of things. Like, in Caesar uh, in Colossae would have made more sense. And Paul says, let me, uh, let, me help, uh, let me help nudge you in a different direction. No, you are in Christ in Colossae. Or for us, you are in Christ in o Overland Park or Lenexa, or Shawnee, or Mission, or Roland Park, or Prairie Village. I probably left some out, but you know, right? You are, you are in Christ in Kansas City, right? Like Paul is affirming to them, let me, let me help you. Like uh, your formation is different now because you are in Christ in your home, right? In, in its rhythms or lack of them, its pressures and responsibilities and, and its brokenness. You are in Christ, the one who holds all things together and the one who redeems what is broken. You are in Christ he says, and your vocation in Overland Park with its values and priorities and its responsibilities, all of those things, e even there, Christ holds all things together. You are in Christ in your brokenness with its questions and doubts and uncertainties and weaknesses. Even there, Paul says, let me redefine reality for you. No, you are in Christ, the one who holds all things together and, and who reconciles what is irredeemably broken in your life. You are in Christ, Park City Church. You are in Christ. Your life is now formed by the one who holds all things together and who works life, reconciliation, redemption, and the things that are broken. Paul will take us more deeply into this journey as he continues the letter, the implications of what it means to be in Christ and all these different spheres in life. He, he, he will step more deeply into it, but he gives us in this moment a picture. Let me draw your eyes again to who Jesus is, the one who holds everything together despite your experience of life in the world and the one who redeems and reconciles what is I, uh, I mentioned it a couple of weeks ago, but uh, I just recently finished the, um, the Just Mercy book by Brian Stevenson. It's been turned into a movie, I think. And uh, he's a lawyer who works with um, clients on death row and works uh, to get them sort of fair and just treatments. And over the course of this book, he's telling the story of one particular case, a man who uh, was innocent and, and sort of uh, how the system was uh, working or not working in this particular case and, and is walking through that story. And it's a remarkable story worth, worth your time um, and attention. Uh, and along the way, he sort of steps into other questions, conversations around uh, what this system is like in our particular expression of it here uh, in, in our country. But along the way, he's telling the story, and, you know, he deals with different things. And one of them, uh, one of the chapters, he steps into a conversation about working on behalf of juveniles, 
right, who, who were sort of given uh, a, a form of justice that perhaps, make, uh, he, to I think the point he would be making, maybe makes us feel better, but perhaps is not equitable in the sense of uh, given their youth and uh, implications for sort of uh, the trajectory of their life, uh, is it just? And uh, so he's talking about sort of the different moments and experiences. Uh, again, uh, just tells some remarkable stories. But in, in the course of telling this particular story, uh, he, he describes uh, working on a particular case, and he's coming out of the courtroom, and uh, he sees a lady sitting on the steps that he had seen, an older lady that he had seen in, uh, in the courtroom at different times over the course of these conversations, and didn't really know how she was connected to the family, so he stops to chat with her, and says, I've seen you around, like, what's your, and she's like, well, I, I don't know uh, any of these people, and then she tells him, uh, tells him uh, her story that, uh, you know, years ago, her grandson had been murdered by, by young people. And she said, in the moment, you know, a grandson she loved dearly, uh, and the judge sort of gave the conviction and the sentence, and, you know, these uh, young people who uh, had, had done this atrocious thing, uh, were, you know, their lives forever altered uh, for, for a very long time. And, and the feeling of, like, it didn't feel any better, right? It just all felt broken. Like, she had experienced loss. There, there was sort of justice in a sense, but even that felt like... You know, they were just kids kind of wrestling with all of those kinds of feelings. She said in that moment uh, in the courtroom, someone came alongside her that she didn't know and just sort of sat next to her, put her arm around her and, and just like was present with her. And she said that uh, how much she appreciated that moment. So she said ever since then, I, you know, I, there's not much I can do, but I just keep coming back. And I figure I can do that for somebody else. I just said, and I've been watching you, young man, you know, you're working for justice and all these things, I've been watching you, but I look for people that uh, are just caught up in all of this, and I just try to put my arm around them and, and be there. But then she, she went to an image that I thought was interesting that he talks about. She says, I'm a stone catcher. And uh, she's like, you know the story. The woman caught in adultery is brought to Jesus. Right, and everyone comes around ready to execute justice, right? And Jesus, Christ, who holds all things together and who reconciles all things, right? You know what he does in that moment? He's like, okay, oh, all right, all right, let's do it. Let's do it, right? So how about the guys that are, uh, you know, you got, you're clean, right? You have no sin. You, you go first. And what happens, right? You guys know. Well, it's not as though Jesus says there's nothing wrong with this situation. He acknowledges the, the brokenness uh, of her life, but also of the system around her. And what he does in that moment, he says, you know, kind of uses the image like he, 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 Jesus catches the stones. Right? We're, we're picking them up and we're hurling them and we're throwing them and we think we're sort of working all these things. He said, Jesus just, right, this image of Jesus catching stones, she said, that's what I want to do. I, I'm just here to catch stones because we're just throwing them, lobbing them at each other all the time and he sits with that image a little bit and I wondered I wondered right uh, that image right we, we get like a narrative picture of it with Jesus and the woman caught in adultery and the self-righteous folks around who would want to work uh, their form of justice in that moment we we get sort of this narrative picture but I wonder if in this moment in Colossians we don't get that kind of grand glimpse of it that Jesus the one who holds all things together is the only one big enough to catch all the stones we're throwing. And maybe we throw them at each other. Maybe we hurl them at ourselves as we look in the mirror. Maybe we're lobbing rocks 
in all kinds of ways. And we get this picture of Christ here, that he is the one who holds all things together. And as the one who holds all things together, the only one capable of reconciling what is broken, of catching all those stones. It brings me back to Helen Limmel, the hymn writer. Through death into life everlasting he passed. And we, she said, we just follow him there. He does the work. We just follow him there. This, Paul writes in Colossians, this is the gospel. It's it's what he says, right? This is the gospel. Don't shift away from this, this hope that you've heard that Christ is the one who holds it all together and the one who reconciles what is broken in your life and in our world. Don't shift from this. This is the gospel, he says. I want to invite you guys to stay. Thank you for listening to the Park City Church Podcast. To learn more about our church and or to find ways to get involved in our community, visit us at parkcitykc.com or follow us on social media at parkcitykc.